Okay, these are the best new Divrei Torah from the past year of 2022. I use an entirely subjective metric. Um, if it gave me chills as I heard it or said it over, uh, it usually makes the cut. It has to be all new ideas unless the idea was hard to access beforehand. Okay, so let's begin. The first comes from YU, uh, famous Bible professor, Rav Sholem Karmi. Rav Sholem Karmi says, One great impediment to Yerushalayim is not that we think too much of ourselves, but that we care too little about our unique destinies as individuals standing before Hashem. Again, the impediment to Yerushalayim is not that we think too much of ourselves. It's not gaiva. It's not that it's ego, but rather the opposite. It's we actually think too little about the unique positioning that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for us in this world. That leads me in a, a similar way to the second idea from Rabbi Shmuel Bernstein. Rabbi Shmuel Bernstein is a ninth grade Rebbe at the Calabasas Yeshiva in California. And there's the famous incident where Yosef is in the house of the wife of Potiphar in her room. And and he's tempted by her and he stops because he sees, as the Medrash puts it, Demus shalaviv. he sees the image of his father. What is that idea of the Demus shalaviv? So the way he interprets it is, is, look at what my father thought of me. He thought the world of me. Meaning the image of his father was the way his father looked and saw the potential of his son, Yosef. And Yosef said, how can I go through with this? If I see how great, how much potential and possibility my father saw in me, I would never be interested in something as lowly as this. Next comes the late Sadiger Rebbe who passed away two years ago. So this was his analysis of the Pasuk in Megillah, Paratess Pasuk of Ches. Right, these days should be remembered and committed to. In every generation. So the days should be remembered. How do you remember these days? What's the vehicle by which Jews remember their history and their chronicles? So the answer is, says Tzadik Yerab, at the end of the Pasuk, Mishpacha o Mishpacha. Again, the Pasuk says, Meaning the family. The family is the primary vehicle by which we transmit the Mesorah. It's through the experiences of what an ambiance of Shabbos and Yantif and how we get ready for a Purim night Megillah reading. In all of those um, events, through the family is the main way that Jews remember Hayom Ema'ela Niskar Benasim. While we're on the topic of Megillah, share with you a beautiful analysis insight from Rab Shmuel Orbach. The Pasuk says, you know, when Haman notices that Mordechai will not bow and, you know, always interpreted as a very narcissistic, uh, you know, um, expression from Haman, he says, It's all not worth it for me if this guy's not willing to bow to me, right? How is that? How is Mordechai not bowing not worth it? I mean, listen, Haman may have been a narcissist, but he's not an idiot. And when he realized Mordechai isn't bowing, so what? One nut. That wasn't what it was, says Rav Shmuel Orbach. And the, the page and the place where I read this from him, it said he was already um, tipsy on Purim when he said this. And he said that when he realized that Mordechai wasn't bowing, he saw in Mordechai's face something that was not familiar to him. He saw truth. This is a man that was willing to die for something. And Rav Shmuel Orbach says, what cause am I willing to go for? I have nothing. I have nothing worth the passion that's on the face of this Mordechai. And that's what frustrated Haman. Over to Hanukkah, we know the famous question of the Beis Yosef, why is Hanukkah eight days, right? It's, there was enough oil for one day. The miracle is that it went seven more days. So Hanukkah should be seven days. Fine. So many answers to that question. But the assumption is that there was this miracle oil. So Reb Chaim Brisker asked a famous question, how could they use miracle oil? Right? That shouldn't count. Natural oil is the mitzvah. What's the miracle oil should not count for the mitzvah? 
The questions always um, bother me because what really was the question? What really was, God says that's oil, so it should count. No, perhaps when it comes to producing oil, we know it's supposed to be kasis lama or crushed to illuminate. It only comes through work. To be a definition of Shem and Zayat, it has to come from human labor, which is the miracle of Hanukkah, that God imbued us with the ability to be victorious. And that's the greatest miracle of all, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu designed us this way at the right place at the right time to be able to bring out our strength. And therefore, that was the question, Rab Chaim. If you have oil that was not a manifestation of what we worked on and what we sweated for, maybe that shouldn't count. This is from Ramosha Shapiro, the great Baal Shava, also passed away a year and a half ago. The Medrash says that when the angels were fighting, they were discussing whether or not should truth win or shalom win, should win. What's more powerful, truth or peace, emes or shalom? And the Medrash says that while they were fighting, God already said, you know what, nasa adam. Meanwhile, let's, let's just make man. So what's the significance of that Medrash, that man was created in the context of a battle between emes and shalom? Says Ramosha Shapiro, the pshat is that man is born in the state, in the middle of suffolk, in the middle of doubt, there was an uncertainty. Should truth win? Should peace win? And in the middle of that turmoil, that's where man is born. And therefore, man is always a contradiction. Man always vacillates between polar opposites and different sides of the coin because we were born out of suffolk. One more teaching from Ramosh Shapiro. Ramosh Shapiro says, if one looks at the, um, sorry, this is from Rav Meir Shapiro, Yeshiva's Kachme Lublin. That if one looks at a page of Gemara, you just see words. But you take a step back. And at the top of the Mishnah, at the top is the Mishnah, that's from Rav Yehuda Hanasi, written in Israel. Then is the Gemara, that's written in Bavel. The side is Rashi, which is France. The other side is Tosus, which is German, Germany. The whole world, right in front of you. What an amazing experience. When you sit down to learn a Gemara, you're taking in the entirety of the Jewish process in the world uh, of what it means to be in Geula and to Gullus, to be in Israel and to be outside of Israel, to be a Jew all over and how all of our narratives and stories come together on the page of a Gemara. This is the notion of interbeing, which I've spoken about before, of how, why it's always important to us that the beam and the Mishkan was there from Yaakov to Moshe, used by the Eshel of Ram. Why is always everything so connected? Because everything that we're doing now in its current moment is all a tapestry woven together from all the varying experiences of our people throughout history. The next idea is a big, uh, there's a new phrase, it's called ghosting, right? I'd say it's about a couple of years old. Um, the idea of ghosting is that we ignore people, right? We don't want to deal with something, so we ignore. We let them text us, text us, text us, or call, and we don't, we don't answer. What's the isser of ghosting? So Revel Khan and Ehrman, my favorite bloggers, put together a, a list of a couple of surim of what exactly is ghosting. So number one, Derech Eretz Kod Militar. Derech Eretz dictates that you should respond. Someone's trying to reach you. You respond, you don't ignore them. La'olam yehe adam, a person should be a, a mensch. That's one. Number two, if you don't ignore others, Hashem won't ignore you. Mida keneged mida. If someone's in trouble and I need your help and you're ignoring them, why should Hashem answer you? And number three, we know simply many people are hurt and offended by this, by you ignoring them. Hurting people's wrong. Basic elements of human dignity dictate that you should be you, you should be responsive to other people. Um, I said this over, and then one of my congregants, Michael Parker, added a following element. He said it's clear that the reason why people ghost nowadays is because they don't want to deal with the uncomfortability of a certain situation. They may have to say no to a shidduch. They may have to say no to helping somebody out or whatever it is. And, and because people nowadays don't want to deal with that uncomfortability, they ghost. 
and that's inappropriate. Um, Ari Mark, a cousin and dear friend, put together a kuntris in honor of his relationship with his son, who has special needs. And in the introduction, he cites the Gemara Megillah of Vav Mabez, Im yomar adam, velom, I, I toiled, but I did not find. Don't believe him. I did not toil, but I found. Don't believe him. I toiled and I found. Believe him. So what does that mean that I toiled and I did not found? Don't believe him. Many people toil and still do not succeed. You could have someone who works every waking hour they have to, to become a success and they don't. It happens sometimes. So what does it mean, yagati velomatsati? I worked and I didn't find, don't believe him. Says our remark, the agia is the metzia. The toil, the work, the labor put into that which you care about, you've already found. It mean, You've already found. On some level, you have found. You cannot say you have not found. You putting in your heart and soul into what you believe in and into what you care about, that already is the metzia. This is from Rav Moshe Meir Lederman. He wrote Yashir Moshe on the Zmiras. It's a new commentary on the venture. He's the head of a community in Brooklyn. And some beautiful insights. I'll just share with you one insight that he has. Um, he points to a contradiction in the Aishas Chayel. On one hand, we say, Rabos Banus Asu Chayel, that uh, many of your daughters were valiant. On the other hand, right, it says, Reish uh, Chayel Miimza. Who could find one? Miimza. As though it's impossible to find a woman who is a chayal, Aisha's chayal. So are there many or are there few? So he answers like this. Look at the phrase, Rabos banus asu chayal. Many daughters did valiantly. They tried. There are many who do. But there's very few Aisha's chayal miyimsa who found it, who have it in their hearts. There are many people who do their best. But very few are actually precious gems inside who they are, the core of their soul. Reb Chaim Kinevsky, uh, commenting on the Haggadah, there are a few comments that have come out after his uh, passing that should be added in the de- as addendums to the Haggadah. So, on emptying the dishes from the shelf to check for chametz, Reb Chaim would tell his family to carefully put everything back where it belongs. Why? Because Bedikas chametz nowadays is derabanan. It's rabbinic. Why? We we mavatal the chametz, we sell the chametz. Bedikas chametz is derabanan, but distressing my wife is deraisa. Next comes from Rav Avram Berman, who's a Rebbe in the yeshiva. He pointed out a great muscle with a crocodile. This is awesome. A crocodile with its jaws can crush anything up to three or 4,000 pounds. But you put a masking tape, simple masking tape on its mouth, and it's stuck. It can't do anything. So too the Yetzirah. It's a 3,000-pound monster, but one little geder and you render it helpless. One little, you know, being careful about Lashon Hara or, or, or Motsi Shemra, one little fence to stop you from any of these things, and you render it helpless. It's a beautiful mashal crocodile mashal could be used in so many different ways. Rav Shol Alter, the Ger Rosh Hashiva, cites the Yerushalmi in Yoma, where it says, Kold Dor, She'enu Nivne Beis Every generation of which the Beis Amigdash was not built in its day, Ki'ilu Nechrev B'yamav, it's as though it was destroyed in its time. Ask the Sfasemis to Dvarim, but there were so many generations that had Siddiqui Elyon, great Siddiqim, and yet it wasn't built. Are we saying that they destroyed it? Those Siddiqim destroyed it? Because any generation where it wasn't built, they're the ones who destroyed it. Says Rav Alter, that's not the Pshat. Rather, it means that every generation, each of our Ritzonos, each of our intentions and desires for peace and harmony, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu's revelation of Ashkina, all of that contributes to the process of the rebuilding. It's being rebuilt as we speak. But the pshat is, in the Yerushalmi, that any person who doesn't contribute to that rebuilding, it's as though they're destroying it. 
So not that it's not built in entirety in our day, but rather it's not built on some level, then you have destroyed it. Because every one of us is actively building the Beis HaMikdash in real time. It's a beautiful insight. Another insight from Roshal Alter, an amazing diak in Alanisim. In the Alanisim, it tells us about the military victory. And then it says, And afterwards, they went and Pinu's Hechalecha, and they cleaned up the, you know, the Hechal and the Mikdash and the candle. And then they established Chanukah. Points out of Shalalter, the word va'achrekein and afterwards is in the wrong place. It should be they did the military victory, they clean up the mikdash, and then afterwards they establish Hanukkah for eight days. Right? Wouldn't you put the achrekein and afterwards to introduce? And this is how they establish the practice going forward. Yet we have the achrekein separating between the military victory and how they cleaned out the temple. Why is it there? And also the alnisim begins with amecha your nation and switches to banecha your children. So says Rav Shalalter, after they won the military victory, they stopped and looked around and said, how did we do this? How did this victory just happen? How is this possible? Because we're Bonham Lamakum, we're Hashem's children, and he was looking out for us. Once we had that realization, once we paused and reflected on that, afterwards we recognize we're now going to have to change our entire lives. We can't leave the mikdash as is. We're going to have to clean it up in a way that's befitting princes and princesses. We're the children of the king. We have to go into the mikdash, clean it out, do everything kedas and kedin, get candles lit, remember what God has done for us. That's why the achrakein is there. And that's why banecha, your children. Next idea. Ori Kotler, who was a commander in the Rotem unit of the Givati Brigade, said there's a famous phrase, if you have a hammer in your hand, everything looks like a nail, right? By the way, that's from Maslow, the psychologist. If you have a hammer in your hand, everything looks like a nail, says Ori Cutler. So how would the world look to us if we hold a candle in our hand, right? If you hold a candle in your hand, everything looks like a candle, meaning that's the purpose of Hanukkah, to see all of life as miracle, all of life as blessing, all of life as goodness and opportunity. If you have a hammer in your hand, everything looks like a nail. So if you had a Hanukkah candle in your hand, imagine how the world would look. Unbelievable. Um, Rav Dov Cook, writing about his great uncle, Rav Avram Yitzchak HaKohen Cook, he said, we never find him writing against sin and evil. He's always obsessing over light and good. Why? He says, the reason is because there are people who are connected to good, but they still fight a war with darkness. But Rav Cook... He's only shayach to absolute good. His whole essence is to live a life of absolute goodness and only see good. He's like the person who walks around holding the Hanukkah candle. In 1934, during the last winter of his life, Rav Cook delivered his introductory lecture on Yavamas. And he asked why Nashim begins with Yavamas ahead of Kedushin. So he said the following. He says, Yibum is a better model for Jewish reflection on the family precisely because the extraordinary and tragic illuminate the common. Because the extraordinary and the tragic, which is a story of Ibum, those illuminate the common. The life of Torah is not ordinary life, but eternal life. It has to be able to reach even the darkest places. And once you recognize that, you then recognize Kavachomer, it could reach the easy places. That's why Hanukkah Menar, you put Lamata Masara, it could reach even the greatest darkness. Another insight from Rav Dov Kook. Rav Dov Kook quotes from Yeshayahu. It says, Ki govo shamayim aretz. The distance between heaven to earth, so too is the distance between my ways and darchechem and your ways. That implies that God's love is so beyond our comprehension, like almost humans to bugs. So 
then what's the point of it all? We can never grasp it, we can never see it, we can never understand it because it's so beyond us. But says Rav Dov Kook, there's another Pasuk, and that one's in Mishlei, and that one tells us the response. Kamayim aponim laponim, like water where face to face, where you see a reflection of a face reflects a face. So too leva adam la adam, so too the heart of a person to a person. Meaning, HaKadosh Baruch is telling us in Mishlei, just like a face reflects a face, a heart reflects a heart. And therefore, when we turn our hearts to Hashem, then we feel the reflection of Hashem's love upon us. Meaning, without this Pasuk, there would have been no way for us to have any Hasaga of Hashem's love for us. But because we have a promise that where we turn our hearts, there it is reflected back to us, then therefore we catch a glimpse and understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love for us. I heard it told over from Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. I don't know if he meant it as a joke. I don't have the context. But why do we eat latkes and donuts and Hanukkah? So he says, since the Greeks worship the human body, our job is to trash it. <laughs> that's not, I don't think that's Evis, but he was probably kidding, but it's a great fourth. Anyways, um, Ravitcha Meyer Morgenstern, the great Makobal in Yerushalayim, asked, what's with davening Ne'ilah, right, at a lightning speed? Many shuls daven Ne'ilah at lightning pace. So that's based on the Shulchan Arach, and so either we do it uh, to get in Duchening, some places Duchen then before sunset, or because we want to finish by Tseis, that people are fasting, we want to get them out. But says Ravitcher Meyer Morgenstern that we could suggest on a deeper level that Neila includes all the Tfilas of the year. So we want to wrap them all in there. We want the last word of our Neila to have shaykhis to the first word because all of the words are a collection of all your tefillahs from the year. You know, it's like, I, I think maybe the mashal, it's not perfect, is like when you're holding a whole huge uh, pile of laundry in your hand, if you go a little quicker, you can get it to the washing machine before it falls out of your hand. Same thing here too. You're holding all these tefillahs from the year there and you want them all to be bound together. And therefore you gotta go quick so that it all sticks together. Uh, this is Lex Friedman. Lex Friedman is a great new podcast interviewer. He's awesome. He always stays neutral and is brilliantly able to uh, you know, interview the left and the right. And he interviewed one of the greatest athletes in the world right now. That's Magnus Carlsen, the world's chess champion, grandmaster in chess. And Magnus Carlsen said, you know, the best moves have all been analyzed to death. And therefore, nowadays, you need a new way to win. And surprising your opponent is the greatest advantage. Sacrificing the optimal in favor of the unexpected. Hear that? Sacrifice the optimal in favor of the unexpected. The Gemara Kedushin tells us that how do you beat the Eight Sahara? You have to have new ways always with new Chiddush, new idea, fresh ideas, fresh approaches. And that's what Magnus Carlsen is telling us. Sometimes the way to win the game is not by taking the road that's been traveled over and over, but by finding a new way. Rabbi Nachman has this in his story of the Lost Princess. He has the Shvil Menatzah, the path to the side. The Gemara in Shabbos 30b, new idea, says that Rabbah would open his shear with mili de with words of jokes, laughter. Question is why? So I always thought it was because, you know, to grab everyone's attention, and once you got them loosened up, you're ready for a shear. Says the Chasim Sofer, no, it's not, it wasn't by design, but rather, a person needs to rejoice on the fact that that fell into their lap, the schus to learn Torah. Unbelievable. That a person needs to be happy and filled with simcha. Why are they joking? Because what a privilege fell into their lap that they could teach and to learn Torah. Ravar and Lichtenstein, um, you know, rephrases the classic way we look at, uh, why do we save a non-Jewish, let's say, child who's drowning on Shabbos? You're going to be breaking Shabbos if you do it possibly. 
So by a Jew we have a chai behem that we bekuach nefesh and chai behem, but by a non-Jew we have something called mishum eva because it's going to arouse animosity if we don't do it, which is crazy. It sounds to us just crazy that that the only reason we would do it is because um, we're going to be hated. So Rav Lichtenstein says it's the wrong way to understand eva and darkei shalom. Eva is not just by non-Jews. We have it, for example, the Gemara Megillah 9b says that when two Kohanim Gedolim can, they're not supposed to serve at the same time. Why? Eva, it's going to cause animosity. And so what? Meaning, the Jewish responsibility in the world is to keep hatred out of the world. Darkei Shalom is to manifest a walking of Hashem's ways in His Torah. So why are we saving someone drowning in Shabbos? We're saving them because it's our job to keep hatred out of the world, to build a world centered around love and harmony. Next idea. Um, this is a poet, Mary Oliver, one of the biggest poets of our generation, Mary Jane Oliver, American poet. And I'll tell you what I did with it this year, but here's the poem. People do it, some out of desperation, others out of greed. They steal. The very powerful and clever might steal a whole house or a million dollars. It's been done. But what does it matter? Love is the one thing the heart craves, and love is the one thing you can't steal. So it's a beautiful poem about how, you know, you could steal money, steal everything, but the one thing you really want, you can never steal, which is love. And I use this this year to frame the notion of stealing the afikomen at the Seder. It's sort of teaching a sad replacement for the fact that the one thing you can't steal is our love for Hashem. Ava Kalul Asayach, our Kaddish Baruch Hu's love for us. And that really is the prize on Pesach night. It's why at a certain point the parents don't busy themselves with stealing the Afikom and they graduate to something more mature, which is trying to capture our Kaddish Baruch Hu's attention. Close with the following insight. There was a yeshiva that ran for hundreds of years. But after time, it was filled with machlokas, fighting. And the Rosh Hashiva said, we have to close down. But before doing so, we must ask a Rebbe, a Shaila, about it by closing down. And the Rebbe said, don't close. Because in this yeshiva is the Mashiach. Who, who, who is it? Asked the Rosh Hashiva. I can't tell you, said the Rebbe. Word spread in the yeshiva. And as they sat with their chavrusas, each one sat across from the other with the utmost respect and kindness because who knows, maybe the person across from you could be the Mashiach. What a beautiful illustration of how we should treat and see each one of us in any given moment that anybody has the potential to bring the Geula and therefore we must treat them with the utmost dignity. Shkoyach and take care.